0: I would say, in my opinion, American athlete Katie Ledecky is one of the greatest athletes of all time. You just look what she's put up on the board. What, is it like seven Olympic gold medals, 15 world championship medals? She's just a machine in the pool. She has is, she is either set or currently holds world records in, like, The 400 freestyle, 800 freestyle, 1,500, 1,600 freestyle, uh, 500, 1,000 and 1,500. I'm just blown away by all the things that she's done. She excels in the sprints and she excels in the long distance. And it's just amazing to watch her perform. You know who I'm talking about, right? Just an American hero. And uh, here's what's fascinating about how she approaches her races. A lot of athletes will do this. And many of you are athletes, or at least you've done some races of some sort before uh, and I've done, even done this myself I will go into a race and I don't want to put it all out there at the beginning I want to make sure that I don't bonk out before the race is over right so you, you don't necessarily go really hard at the start you don't sprint the first 400 yards Katie Ledecky just starts out fast and never lets up the moment the gun goes off, she's already ahead of all the competitors. By the time she comes out of her dive and up and starts doing the swim, she's already in first place and she never loses it. She just gets herself into that. Because what she says is, I don't ever want to get to the end of the race and feel like I had more to give. So I'm always afraid of that. So I just go hard from the beginning. And she gets that routine going and uh, she just like pretty much gets in every other competitor's head and they just see there's no chance of catching her. So by the time she hits the wall and turns the timer off she's either set a new world record or she's in first place and she's just excelled in every way it's uh which she just dominates no wonder olympic gold medalist and hall of fame member rowdy gaines said this about her It's fascinating he said she's without a doubt the greatest female swimmer in history there's no way you can compare anybody else in history to her for what she's been able to accomplish for so long Just a phenomenal athlete, and I kind of have something like that in my mind as I've been looking at Jesus as we've been seeing Jesus through the eyes of John in his gospel, and we've just watched Jesus absolutely dominate the life that he lived. And we've been, if you want to find the gospel of John now, i as just watched Jesus and all the things that he did and the, the teachings that he gave. And, and as we've been looking at the miracles he performed, I just think this is just a once-in-a-lifetime performance. There has never been and there never will be anyone who has done as much as Jesus did. There's never been and there never will be somebody who lived the kind of life that Jesus lived, and there's never been and there never will be anyone who's accomplished as much as he's accomplished. He is just head and shoulders above everyone else. And as we've gone through the different miracles that Jesus performed and looked at them, we just realize this this man can do anything. It's no wonder that people who got to know him best came to the conclusion over time he's not just a good man, he's not just a good teacher, he's not just a miracle worker. I think he's telling the truth when he said he is literally God who's become a human being, God who's entered our story. And the miracles were designed just for that very reason. Now, as we've looked at the miracles, we're going to get into two more miracles today beyond the first seven that John described in his gospel. Today and next Sunday, Easter Sunday, two powerful ones that just literally have changed not just the time that Jesus lived, but they've impacted all of human history. Everything that came before Jesus and everything that ever happened after, 2,000 years later, you and I still have the power to be impacted by what Jesus did. And you might say, well, Brian, this sounds like a little bit of an exaggeration. I don't think so. And here's a couple of reasons why. And you might be thinking like, well, miracles were great for the people who received them, but it's an exaggeration to say that something Jesus did 2,000 years ago could affect me. And I understand why you might think that. You'd say like, you know, it would have been awesome to be at a wedding where Jesus changed water to wine, and if you got to drink the wine, that must have been cool. If you were the parent who had a child who was dying and Jesus heals your kid, phenomenal for them. You know, if you were one of the ones in the crowd when Jesus took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread, and you ate that meal, you would be very thankful for that miracle that you experienced. If you were dead for four days and Jesus brought you back to life, I think you probably really, you know, if you were paralyzed or blind, all the the miracles that John talked about, you go, well, that's really good for them, but it doesn't really have anything to do with me 2,000 years later. Actually, it does, and and I'm not exaggerating. I literally believe that it has changed all of humanity, including your life, your past, present, and future, and here's how. Number one, it's what we've been talking about as we've looked through the Gospel of John. At the very end of his writing in chapter 20 and verse 30, John said, here's why Jesus did these miracles, and here's why I'm telling you about them. We saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in, in addition to the ones that were recorded in this book, but these, the seven, are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is Messiah, Son of God, and by believing in him, you will have life By the power of his name So John said the, the miracles that I'm telling you about They point you to Jesus That was the purpose of them And who he really is But then you go beyond that into the two miracles Today we're going to talk about the miracle of the cross And next week we'll talk about the miracle of the resurrection So the first seven miracles Water to wine, walking on water Feeding people, raising the dead Those pointed us to Jesus And what Jesus can do And who he is these next two miracles we're going to talk about, they point to what Jesus is now currently doing for us. And it's, they're really actually for you. You just can't overstate what these next two miracles that Jesus performed 2,000 years ago have done for the world. And I want to show you through John's eyes as we just see these miracles unfold. So if you're in the Gospel of John, I want you to actually find chapter 19. If you're newer to the Bible and you've got the Bible app on your phone, as the scriptures are up here, there's gonna be a little QR code. You look at that with your camera and it'll open the Bible up right to where you need to be. Uh, if you have a paper Bible and you're looking for John, not one John, two John, or three John, they're at the end of the Bible. Same guy wrote those, but you want the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Let's watch as Jesus goes into the first of these two powerful miracles. Uh, this is I'm going to start reading in John chapter 19, verse 16. John was an eyewitness to what he's writing about here. He said, Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders. So they took Jesus away, and carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the Place of the Skull in Hebrew Golgotha, and there they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on each side with Jesus between them, and Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, so they said, rather than tear it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among them and they threw dice for my clothing. So that's what the Roman soldiers did. What they did to Jesus that day was shameful. It was awful. They treated the best person who's ever lived with such contempt like he was a terrorist, like he was the the worst person, the worst criminal who had ever lived. Don't just read this or listen to this and blow past that. Literally the best human, the only perfect human who ever walked on this planet, and we killed him. The author of life, and we killed him. It was horrible how they treated him. I skipped all the parts of what they did before him, how they beat him, how they put a crown of thorns on him, how they whipped him, how they made him carry the cross out there and uh, mocked him along the way. It was just awful. And you look at it and you go, why did this happen? On one level, you could say, There were some really powerful religious people who were threatened by Jesus' popularity and they just wanted him out of the way. There were some corrupt religious leaders who really enjoyed the money that came and the prestige that came with the position they held and Jesus was bad for business. You can look at the Roman governor. He just caved to political pressure. He just didn't want any trouble on that day. And he didn't want to lose his job. So he knew he was crucifying an innocent man, but he just went along with it. So on one level, you can just say the powers that be just decided that he had to go away. Didn't matter that he was innocent. Didn't matter how many uh, unjust things they had to do to make this happen. They just wanted their problem to go away. So on one level, you can say it's just we killed him. People killed him. Evil people conspired like the world always does. And on one level, you'd be right, but that's not the complete picture. Jesus himself tells us there's more to why he died, and this is part of the miracle. God had a plan going on here, and it had been going on for a long time before 2,000 years ago when Jesus was taken out one Friday and hung on a cross outside Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus knew there was a plan, and he participated in the plan. The real reason Jesus died on that day, well, let me just show you, Let's go back to some words of Jesus earlier. These are in the Gospel of John as well. Jesus said this earlier to some of his closest followers. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. you're a good shepherd you take care of your sheep even if it means losing your life down verse 14 Jesus said I'm the good shepherd I know my own sheep my own people they know me just as my father knows me and, and I know the father so I sacrifice my life for the sheep he's telling him what's coming verse 17 the father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again no one can take my life from me I sacrifice it voluntarily I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and authority to take it up again for this is what my father has commanded no one took Jesus life let's just be really clear about that nothing was happening that Friday if Jesus didn't allow it he'd already planned on it he knew for sure I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice for people for my sheep for the sins of the whole world why did Jesus die because he chose to die He was carrying out a plan that was already in the mind of God before God ever started this universe, before God ever said, let there be light, before Jesus ever, but by the way, you know Jesus was the one who actually created this universe. It's through Jesus and for Jesus and by the power of Jesus that this universe exists. It still holds together by his power. These are all out of Colossians chapter one in the Bible. And Jesus, before the world was ever created, already knew that it would be broken by us and that it would take a perfect sacrifice to fix it. So when Jesus died that Friday, he was carrying out a plan that had been in play for a long time. He chose it. And I want you just to to listen to some verses that just paint a picture of the beauty of what Jesus did, the miracle of the cross. I'm actually going to go back in time. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah the prophet wrote these words. It's almost like he saw a videotape or like something before it actually happened. It was a vision of the future. Isaiah 53.5, seeing Jesus, Isaiah wrote, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. The Apostle Paul, later reflecting on what Jesus did on the cross, 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins just as the Scripture said. Paul wrote this to a different church, different group of Christians. Romans 4.25, Christ Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Peter, First Peter 3.18, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his closest students, he reflected on Jesus. He said, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you home safely to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. And John, the one who wrote this gospel that we're walking through, John, 1 John 2.2, 2, Jesus himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only for our sins, but the sins of the entire world. This was Jesus' plan. Make no mistake, God had a way to fix what's wrong with the world, and the cost to do it was his own life, and he was willing to pay it. This wasn't an accident. Jesus didn't push things a little too far. He wasn't reading the like, oh, I didn't read the room there. I guess I should have not said that one last thing, got me killed. Nope, he planned this from the very beginning. He knew what he was doing, and it's genius. The one thing that could fix what's wrong with this world would be a simple act of love and self-sacrifice made by a perfect person, and he did it for you. So let's go back and watch this miracle of salvation play out. John chapter 19 verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. I don't know if you've ever read that before, it maybe blow right past that. He knew what he was doing, and he knew his mission was now finished so to fulfill scripture he said, "I am thirsty." And a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it and they put it on a hyssop branch. They held it up to his lips, and when Jesus had tasted it, he said, "It is finished." then he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit it is finished I don't know what language Jesus actually spoke when he said that In the original Bible that we have given to us, it was written in Greek, and the word was tetelestai. It's just one word. It is finished in Greek, it's tetelestai. Uh, He may have actually spoke Aramaic, but John translated it into Greek because everybody in the world at that time spoke Greek like everybody now speaks English. Tetelestai was an awesome word. I'm not gonna go into all the details of what tense it was. We don't even have this tense in English. But it was the word that you would say when, and some of you maybe experienced this, when you pay that last mortgage payment and the house is yours, Tetelestai, that thing is done. No more mortgage payments, this is mine. I bought it. Some of you have experienced this. You write the last paper, you turn in the last assignment, you are graduating, you're walking across the stage, they give you the diploma, Tetelestai. It's finished, I'm done. I never have to go to school ever again if I don't want to. Some of you maybe have experienced this. You did some unfortunate things, you had to serve some time, the day that you walk out of prison, Tetelestai, it's done. I'm done with that. I am set free. Yeah. When he had tasted the the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus chose to die to finish everything that needed to be done to save you and to save me. It's a miracle. I want you to grasp this. By the death of one man, billions, if not trillions of human beings have the potential to be saved. Listen to this out of Romans chapter five, verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, that's our first parents, Adam and Eve, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. In verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone, And I say miracle because I don't know what other word to describe something that is that life-changing, eternity-changing, reality-changing. It literally changed everything about our existence in one moment the sacrifice that Jesus made completely makes things available that were never available to you and I before. Sin, like, ruined our batting average. It ruined any potential to ever be perfect. It damaged every relationship that you've ever had. It has hurt everything that you've ever loved in life. The reason we have to say goodbye to people that we love, the reason that things never seem to work out quite right is because of what our first parents, Adam and Eve, did, and we've just done the same thing. It just kept spreading. And it was this thing that just corrupted this whole perfect world that God created but then 2,000 years ago one guy on one day put something on the map put a pin on the calendar and said from here forward all that gets undone from this point forward everything is now going to be restored and renewed and everything is eventually one day going to be the way it should be and you and I better be looking forward to that because thats if you are a Christian that's the hope that you have listen to this In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 it says Jesus our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins good for all time and then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand in verse 14 for by that one offering of his own life he forever made perfect those who are being made holy I love what Max Lucado says Uh, He's an author and a pastor. He says, of course Jesus sat down. All that needed to be done had been done. All that needed to be paid had been paid. Christ has paid for you. And if that doesn't qualify for a miracle, I don't know what does. Just a fantastic thing. And I wish I could just stop right here and stop talking and you guys go, yes, we just praise Jesus for what he's done. But I have a sense because I've talked to enough people and I've lived enough life in my own skin that it's one thing to say, yes, Jesus died for the sins of humanity. It's another thing for you to say, it's actually real for me and it applies to me. And that grace and that forgiveness that Jesus gives is actually for me. A lot of people, in my experience, and I might be talking to you, I'm not trying to poke a bruise here, you're willing to believe that Jesus can forgive a lot of people, but you have a hard time believing that Jesus can forgive you. You have a hard time believing that this is actually talking about you. You feel like you're the exception to this. You feel like this is for most people. This is probably for the good church people. This is probably for the people who get their act together, but I just can't seem to do that, so I guess I'm just gonna be the cautionary tale that everybody else points to. And I want you to know nothing could be further from the truth because actually, there's just a lie that's being whispered into your ear that says this isn't for you. We all know what guilt is. It's that sense that you've crossed a line that you shouldn't. You, you, you probably should have stopped talking a few minutes before. You should have got your temper reined in. Uh, you should never have been there. You should never have done that. You should never have smoked, drank, whatever that. You should never have been with that person. You shouldn't, whatever it is. And, and in a sense, guilt is a good thing because guilt does tell you hey, there's a line. Don't cross it. There's a line. You went past it. Make it right. Get reconciled. Ask for forgiveness. Make it right but there's a sense where some things just can't be cleaned that easily and you know that and you may start to think that even God can't clean it for you or maybe there's just this thing that in your head just says look I don't deserve to be forgiven I should just carry that guilt that's part of my punishment which is not a scriptural teaching at all and I'll tell you, when you leave guilt alone and you don't deal with it and address it and ask God to help you with it, it morphs into its sinister cousin. I don't know who first said that, but I just love that image, the sinister cousin, shame. Yeah. That shame that just says, it's not that you've done wrong, you are wrong, you are bad, there's nothing good about you, nothing will ever be different about you, and don't even bother and shame loves to push you into the dark. It pushes you away from the people who love you. It pushes you away from the God who loves you and cares for you, the one who created this wonderful miracle that is literally for every person who's ever lived. And I don't know what it is or what it was for you or currently is, the thing you can't shake. I'm, so many people have so many things, and I'm not gonna list them off, but I guarantee you there's something in you that just, and here's what's really going on and what's at work here. Part of it is just you and I are broken people, And we don't see God clearly. Part of it is we have an enemy who loves to whisper in your ear. Uh, Jesus talked about him back in John chapter 10 when he was talking about I'm the shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. He also said there's someone else out there. There's another malevolent spiritual entity. Satan will whisper in your ear lies. Jesus said Satan's a liar and a murderer and he's a thief and he's been that way since the beginning of time. And he would love nothing more than to get between you and the miracle that Jesus did for you on the cross, to to keep you in the slavery of guilt and shame and use it against you. And I want you to read, just listen to this. This is a verse out of, again, the, not the Gospel of John. This is actually one John. Same guy, the one who followed Jesus so closely. Listen to what he said. He said, if we claim we have no sin, We're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Don't do that. Don't pretend like it's all good when it's not. But if we confess our sins to to God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. I have the greatest privilege in the world. I have the most awesome job in the world. I literally get to stand before you. I get to sit and talk with people and tell you, in Christ, all your sins can be forgiven. I sometimes feel scared that I have that authority, but you have it too. You have the same, if you're a Christian, you have that same good news message that God is for people, not against them, that He's not in Christ holding their sins against them, that they can be forgiven of everything. The things you've done, the things done to you, all of it can be wiped away. And what do you do? You don't hide from God, you don't pretend like it didn't happen, you don't feel like, oh, I guess I got to carry this myself. You just take it to him, confess it to him, accept the forgiveness and the grace that he offers. It's all, the work was done 2,000 years ago, Friday afternoon on that cross, when Jesus said it's finished, he meant it. Past, present, and future, all done. Every single human being who's ever drawn a breath can look to Jesus in faith and find forgiveness. And you go, well, dang it though, I ask for forgiveness, and then I have to go back and ask again. Doesn't he, like, get tired of that? Isn't there, like, a line where God just goes, that's enough, you're out? Okay, well, think about it this way. We're God's children. He adopts us into his family. Do you do that with your kids? Well, I hope you don't. <laughs> you a little kid who's just learning to walk, what, nine months, 10 months, 11 months, 12, I don't know, when do kids start walking? Mine's are too old, somewhere in there. All of the above got that big old head that's too big for their body like ugh and they got that diaper that weighs like 25 pounds they're trying to no wonder they can't walk you get them up and you get your pinkies out there come on let's go and then they take a step and then they fall good thing they got that thick diaper on bang do you yell at your kid when they take a step and fall who would we don't do that we're, we're like evil people and we know better than that and God looks at you and he goes you took a step today did you fall? Yes. Let's get back up. You're going to do better next time. Let's get going here. We've got a new life waiting for you. It's a life that you can't ever have created on your own, but I made it for you, and I'm calling you to it, and I love you very much, and I want you to be part of this. Just say yes to it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do enough things to make me want you to be part of it. It's already there. Just say yes and accept it. And I know that there's a voice in your head that maybe says, maybe it's not for me. I just want you to get rid of that and just accept the gift that God's given you. I remember way back in my student ministry days, the, um, I I guess I'll just call them what they were, the old people of our church (laughs) (laughs) invited Kirsten and I to be their... um, their chaperones for one of their senior trips. It was like a three-day trip down to the Smokies, and they wanted me to be their chauffeur, and Kirsten and I were the chaperones. We're like, this is easy. It's like a youth group trip, but we don't have to make sure that people aren't sneaking into each other's rooms, and we don't have to help them keep track of their money. Yes, we would love to go. So we took them everywhere. It was an awesome trip. We're driving home, and they, they, they're they like calling from the back of the bus. Can you stop at and they named the restaurant. And I'm like, of course, it's like a, a 1930s diner kind of place. As I pull up to drop them off, I noticed a sign on the door. It said cash only. And uh, so I dropped the people off, and I said to Kirsten, how much cash you got? <laughs> it's cash only. And they're like, what in the world? What kind of a place doesn't take debit cards? a uh, place that caters to that age group back in the... So I'm like, okay, how much? So I'm like, okay, I got a 20. She's like, I got some ones and five. Okay, we're good. And I think I saw a thing that says they take checks. so we can. <laughs> Turns out we didn't need to worry about it. We walk in the restaurant and everybody in our group started clapping and they said, we just, we're so thankful you took us on this trip. We want you to know we're buying your lunch today. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. So what did Kirsten and I do? Did we stand in front of them and say... I will not accept this from you. Thank you. We will pay for our own meal. No, we said, this is great. We don't have to worry. We just, we're getting pie for dessert too. You know? Amen. There's a beautiful gift that God's putting in front of you. He just wants you to accept it. Jesus loves you very much. He wouldn't have done what he did if he didn't want to. He chose it. Nobody made, did this to him. He wanted you to know how much he loves you. If you ever wonder how much he cares about you, just look what he did for you. Watch him die on the cross with you in his heart. And and think about what he said about you. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that my sheep may have life and have it to the full. It's what he wants for you. It's all he wants for you. And some of you, I know as I speak, and maybe you're watching online, you're not a Christian. You don't even know what that means, but this is something resonating in your heart because God is always calling out to everyone. The Holy Spirit is always inviting people to be a part of what he's wanting to do in your life. And if this is something that you're saying, I need to do something with this, I don't even know what to do with it. Hey, let's help you take the next step because Jesus would love for you to be a part of the eternal life that he opened up and made available by giving his life on the cross. There is forgiveness of sins for anyone, and there is no asterisk that says except for you, Brian. It's for anyone and everyone. You have never heard of anyone. You have never locked eyes with anyone that Jesus would refuse to forgive. You cannot name a person that if they came to Jesus in faith and repentance that he would turn away because it won't ever happen, and he won't turn you away either. Uh, many of you like you're I, I said yes to Jesus I've done and I've been in the water and but you're still living as though this is not a reality for you and I get it because this is a thing that you spend the rest of your life just coming to terms with and realizing is this actually real or is this just a dream it's real And maybe the thing for you is just there are some things in your life that need to go. The garbage needs to be taken out. You need to repent of some things and turn away from it. But just turn to God who loves you, who will forgive you if you confess it maybe it's even things that you are past it but you just can't get past it let him help you let the people around you this is a very warm and accepting church we love each other we accept each other while we grow and change we don't judge we know how much we've had to grow and change and how much there still is to go and God's going to take responsibility full responsibility to change you it's, it's a partnership between you and Jesus and he does all the heavy lifting you're going to be fine if you'll just trust him. And this is where we go back to why John said he told us about these miracles to begin with. He said, I want to tell you these things so you'll look to Jesus and trust him to know that this is the real deal, that this is legitimate. And so when we look at the miracle of the cross and the forgiveness of sins, it takes faith on your part your parents can't do this for you as much as they care for you I can't do that for you as much as I care for you in your own heart you have to believe that Jesus is Lord and confess him as Lord and you have to say I'm going to trust you it's not really a feeling it's just a willingness to commit to him and say I'm just going to put all my eggs in this basket I'm going to believe that you're going to save me I won't really know for sure until I die but I'm going to believe that this is true because no one else that I have ever met has done these kinds of things and he can do them for you Uh, Let me pray for you. And you'd be thinking about what you need to do with this. Jesus, thank you for being so willing to give your life. I can't imagine what it would be like to live my life knowing that I was going to have to do what you did. And I'm thankful that I don't have to. Thank you for doing the things that we could never do. Thank you for being the man that we never could have been. Thank you for the hope that you give us, the future that you promise us. Thank you for this feeling of just being clean and innocent again that you offer to anyone who will just trust you. And we do ask you to cleanse us from anything that's wrong or unrighteous. We ask you to teach us to be new people. And Father, I pray right now, anyone here, anyone who's listening to your word that feels reluctant or scared, that you will just remove any barrier between them and you, that they'll just know how much you love you and love them and how much you want them to be in their family. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen.